It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Claudia Eisenman, Chief Executive Officer of Deaconess Gibson Hospital in Princeton, Indiana, and Deaconess Union County Hospital in Morgan Field, Kentucky. Claudia has a long and diverse healthcare leadership background with C-suite appointments and organizations that vary in size from 300-bed tertiary hospitals to specialty hospitals and more recently, critical access hospitals. She has a particular expertise in turning around distressed healthcare institutions, both acute and post-acute, with an emphasis on changing culture, creating joy, and evaluating the standard of care by engaging physicians and activating teams to drive out variability, to embrace mission, and to seek benchmark performance in all areas of the operation. Claudia is a fellow of the American College of Healthcare Executives and is active in both the Kentucky Hospital Association and the Indiana Rural Health Association. When she's not working, you can find Claudia somewhere outside where she enjoys restoring native wildlife habitat, fishing, and spending time on her farms. Claudia Eisenman, welcome into the corner office. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to have you here, and uh, the, the weather's starting to look better, uh, I hope, in your part of the world. Uh, is spring around the corner in Indiana today, or what's it? Uh, uh, what's it it is, and actually, I'm, I'm at my office down in Kentucky, so it's even Kentucky. further south, right. and, um, and, and we are having decent weather. It's a little bit overcast, a little bit cool, but my understanding is next week is going to be in the high 70s and, and low 80s. So I'm very excited about that. <laughs> I can imagine. It's great to come out of winter, isn't it? Always something to look forward it to. It sure is. Yes. <laughs> well, Claudia, you've had an amazing career in the healthcare system. And wow, what a challenge it's been the last couple of years. And we'll want to talk about you know the pandemic and its impact on your work. But we always like to kind of start in the beginning and you know talk a little about your early family life. So, so tell us about where you grew up and you know what's your uh, early family life was like? Um, so I grew up kind of in two places. So my earlier years were up in northern Ohio and um, uh, kind of a small town. It's really become a bedroom community of Cleveland called okay. Medina. And, and I was up there for a, a period of years. And, you know, there were some things about family life that were kind of like everybody else's. Uh, I had two brothers. I'm a middle child. Right. And, um, you know, my, my parents, though, didn't always get along very well with one another. And, and so eventually they divorced. And my mother was from Kentucky. Oh. And so there was a move to Kentucky when I was probably about 
13 or 14, I oh, guess. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and so, um, is that hard for you? That's a, that's a hard time to move, particularly with all the it, things that it, happened. It, you, know, but, that age. you know, it, 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 there were challenges, but, but, you know, I, I, I will just say this on, on a personal note. And for those who have, uh, been in a situation where parents divorce, yeah. it's easier for a kid to go into a situation where there's not fighting, yeah. Uh, than, than to be in a situation where there is yeah, because that chaos and yeah. uncertainty is very, very tough on kids. It, it makes kids feel like they got to pick sides and right. all that stuff. Right. And, yeah. and so it's, it's really easier to move on and get to a place that, uh, at least feels a little bit more certain. Uh, you know, I always had vacations in Kentucky and my, my grandmother, uh, had owned some farmland and I was, you know, I loved the outdoors and, uh, you know, so I was able to kind of roam freely on that, on, on that, uh, farmland property nice. and go fishing and do all that. And that was, that was really, uh, that, that was my, and still is today. That's kind of my drug, you yeah, know, everybody's yeah. got their drug of choice and, yeah, you know, and that's and my, that yeah. is my drug of choice. I mean, it's, <laughs> and, and I embrace it. I embrace it even today. It's really helpful to me, obviously during, during the pandemic too. Were you a good student in school growing up? Oh my gosh, I was terrible. <laughs> yeah, was very, the worst ever. So, you know, I, I kind of marvel. I look at my career and I, and I think about the things that, that, uh, you know, teachers tell their students and the things that parents sometimes tell their kids, right, right. you know, sometimes kids, especially if they're, they're in, uh, you know, challenging situations at home and, right. and, and if they're bored, in my case, I was very, very bored. So I was distracted all the time and I was, you know, drawing pictures and stuff at my desk. So well, uh, I was challenged. That, that sounds to me like you were challenged. I was challenged not challenged. Yeah. I was under, was I was easy. definitely an Yes, I was an underperformer, and so I just became distracted. And, and I just, at that point in my life, I just thought, well, grades, you know, that's just sort of an arbitrary system somebody came up with. That doesn't mean anything. So, uh, yeah, so, so there is hope. Parents, if anybody out there is a parent, uh, it, there, there is hope for your child. So, um, so yeah, I was an underperformer and, and was really until, until I got into, uh, the, the first couple of years of college. And then, and then I, I decided, you know, Claudia, you need to figure out what you want to be when you grow up and knock this off. And so I actually stayed out of college for a couple of years. I went for a year and a half, then, then stayed out a couple of years and just worked and, and then went back part time. And I was like, okay, I, I get it now. Uh, so it then I was a very, very focused student and all through graduate school and, and all that stuff. But, so, but I so came back, to it late. Yeah, well, that's okay. That's all right. Well, you made it. So, so back in those early days, um, other than the wandering outdoors, which you, which you love down in Kentucky, were there other things that, and other activities you enjoyed? Were there sports or music, theater, debate, anything like that? that you kind yeah, of I was, uh, in fact, one of the things that really made a big, big difference for me in my career and in my life is that um, you wouldn't know it now, but I was, I was actually very, very shy as a kid. And, and kind of scared of my own shadow. And there was a really wonderful and very inspirational teacher I had mm. in um, high school. And, and she's passed on now, but her name was Mary Ray Oaken. Oh. And Mary Ray convinced me, she was a friend of my mom's, and, and this was in um, uh, Western Kentucky. She, con she convinced me 
that I really needed to become a part of the high school speech team that, oh. to join the Nas National Forensics League. Said Claudia, wow. you know, I, I'm telling you, I think this is going to make a difference in your life. And she was absolutely right. I did join the speech team. I was very active in speech and uh, was, was successful. I learned a lot. And, you know, I, I mean, those presentation skills and the oh, ability to speak in front of audiences. Yeah. Yes. It, it, it's carried me my entire life. So, yeah. you know, thank God for, thank God for Mary Ray. She was, she was really <laughs> probably the first, she was probably the first teacher I had that really saw through all that other stuff and said, you know, really, Claudia, you, you, you've got a lot to offer and you need to start using it. That's fabulous. That's great. And did you, were there competitions? Was it kind of like a debate? Yeah. Yeah. Went to tournaments and, and was, was, you know, very successful at that yeah. and couldn't believe that I actually won some term. I was like, how did this happen? <laughs> I mean, I was so astonished. Uh, I, I, I remember this, this is true. So I remember one time um, I was, I, I gave a, a speech and, uh, and I didn't think I had done that well, you know? So, so I went back to the bus, took my, suit off and put on a pair of jeans and a t-shirt and was planning on attending the the speeches of the my balance, yeah, you know my other of your yeah. yeah yeah so it, so then i go and somebody looks at me and says claudia what are you doing dressed in that and i'm like well i'm just you know hanging out while hanging I'm out yeah i'm gonna listen to the rest around, of you, you right, know? Right. so but you're you're in the finals you're <sighs> in the state finals of, oh of the, and i gosh. said what are you talking about so then i had to run back to the bus <laughs> get your seat back on right? yeah yeah i love so, it i wound up I love it. fourth in the fourth in the state wow. probably might have been a lot more composed i might have me in the top three. <laughs> well, that's so, humility. Yeah. I love that. Well, Mary Ray no, sounds like she had a crazy. huge impact. Were, were there other folks that had, you know, kind of that level of impact on you early on? You know, it's kind of hard to call them mentors at that stage because they, they truly are, but they're folks that maybe have been maybe grandparents or was there an uncle and aunt or other people that helped to kind of, you know, form you or, or you know, lead you down that path that you eventually took. Right. Into. Well, there, there were there were two. You know, uh, yeah. first of all, my my mom. Both my parents have, have passed on. My mom passed on last year. My dad, yeah. uh, unfortunately, he was such a great person, but he struggled with alcohol addiction, mm. and so he yeah. passed away very early in life. Mm. And that was one of the things that kind of led to the divorce of my parents. But yeah. um, but he really was a, a, a really good person. He loved the outdoors, and mm. and I really credit my love of the outdoors with yeah. the fact that. You know, at a time when when girls were sort of not allowed to be out there fishing and doing all those, those were kind of boy things um, that my dad could have cared less. And he dragged me along to anything that I wanted to go to that was outdoors. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that because yeah. he really nurtured that. And then on my mom's side, um, such work ethic, such mm. determination. Yeah. Yeah. You know, where I, I was kind of the shy kid and, and whatever, my mother could not have been more opposite. She, uh, younger in life, you know, she was in, my mom and dad met in, in New York City and, and mom uh, was a hat model back in the day. Oh, wow. so very, very, wow. very beautiful face and uh, very photogenic and, and all of that. And so she was that way. And, and here I was this other way, uh, very shy and, and, you know, reserved and, and she used to always tell me, you know, Claudia, you've got to have some confidence. You've got to square your shoulders mm. back and hold your head up high and know your value. 
And, um, you know, and I've really carried that with me. I didn't always do it for a period of years, but I've carried it with me. And, and she worked so hard. She had her own, um, interior design businesses after the divorce and even before the divorce and, and so on. So that, that tremendous work ethic and that Mm -hmm. determined spirit that she had, uh, I got both of those things from my parents or at least, you know, set me on the path of cultivating those. I love it. You went on to Western Kentucky University and, and studied psychology. Now, was was that kind of planned? Did you did you think that's what you wanted to go and do, or or like most of us went to college and try to figure it out? <laughs> I, I I kind of some of each. I was always very very interested in that. I'm an observer of people, and you know, I've always known in my heart that that essentially uh, all things are about um, human beings and what right. what inspires them. Yeah, and yeah. so I was, I was very interested in psychology, and and then really the biggest, the biggest challenge I had is trying to figure out what my minor was going to be because I was equally interested <laughs> in, in in religion, and uh, which uh, which I almost had enough uh, credits in to have a second minor in that, but it was was really religion and spirituality because spirituality is a big part of my life and faith, and then the other uh, the other piece was. Um, uh, family, uh, child and family counseling. I wound up actually minoring in child and family counseling because I thought I was going to go on and get a master's degree in counseling and then kind of take that track. But, you know, to to be blunt about it, God had a different idea (laughs) than I did. And I I went with that and, you know, know, 30 years in healthcare. So, so it was your first out. job at, at Health South? Is is that where you you started your no, career? No, my in, my yeah? first job. I didn't get into healthcare until I was in my thirties. Okay. Got so um, so it was after I, I, after your first, MBA. Then did did, did you do? Yeah. yeah no. 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 I was I was a CEO a long time before I got my MBA. Okay, believe right. it or not. Yeah, yeah. I started I started on my MBA and then my career took off and then I just never finished it. Right. And then finally, uh, you know, it, I thought this is crazy. I've got to get this finished because really, here's the thing. And this is something I tell early careerists and even mid-level careerists. Um, you know, the competition in these positions has has changed over time, and it's pretty fierce. You need to decide that you're going to go ahead and go to the effort to complete all of the gateway credentials mm. to get yourself to the next level. Right. So e- even though, uh, you know, I had been a, a CEO and actually was a regional CEO for HealthSouth yeah. uh, before they changed their name to Encompass, you know, I knew that really where I wanted to, to transition to was working in acute care. I had done right. uh, everything, you know, in the, in the rehab side, I really wanted to go to acute care and have that experience. And I knew there were some gateway credentials for that. Yeah. So, what, 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 Just a, a pause there. What led you to that decision, Claudia? What, what, what made you kind of have that affinity towards the acute care side? Well, uh, because I had I had already uh, done the the, the rehab side, yeah, got it, got it. Uh, and, and I knew I was successful, and, and I just felt like I wanted to be able to have a broader understanding. I wanted to increase my scope. I yeah. still love rehab. I, I mean, re- the thing about rehab that's so wonderful is it's so hopeful for patients. Right. You know, when a patient comes into a rehabilitation setting. And maybe they've had a, a brain injury or a spinal cord injury yeah. or a stroke or something like that. And and you see the look of victory mm. on their faces and their families' faces when they take those first few steps yeah. after, um, you know, after being admitted. 
it's it's just something so that is satisfying. so heartwarming and yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's hard to it's hard to put that into words but there's another whole part of a patient's care and treatment including the wellness aspect that really rehab doesn't deal with right so right. I, I really wanted to increase my scope and understand that and be a yeah. part of that as well cool Cool. Great. And then uh, what led you to go back to get your MBA? Did you feel that you needed that? I mean, you, you already achieved the CEO status. Uh, I did, was it but, but I started. Or? Yeah, I, well, I started down that path and I really, uh, I really believed that if I really wanted to broaden the things that I yeah. wanted to do on uh, the general acute care side that I was really going to need that MBA, that that was a gateway credential I needed to complete. Right, and right. so I went back and, and completed it. And you did that in healthcare, right? I was the MBA. I did. Yeah. Right? yeah. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and what would you say looking back now? Cause it's been what, 15 years or so, I think since you completed that, what, what's been the biggest benefit of having that MBA as you progressed your career beyond that point? Well, I, I think that, First of all, all education is valuable and useful. Um, you know, I had been using some of the skills that I used uh, in the MBA, so they were not new to me, sure. but I was using them in a different way in my academic program. Some things, it was a great way to tune up, you know, a skill set. Um, the other thing is, in addition to it being a gateway degree so that people could look at my background and say, yes, you had appropriate academic preparation for us right. to consider you for more responsibility, sure. um, it, you know, it, it really helps refine and tune up your critical thinking skills, I think. Mm. It helps yeah. you develop a method of thought and problem solving. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, when, when people a lot of times say, well, if you're in the C-suite already, what would be the value of going yeah. on and getting that degree? I mean, really it's yeah. twofold. Uh, one is you are still going to gain a lot of, um, improves. You're going to really improve your skill set. Yeah. You know, uh, because you sometimes you don't know what you don't know until you go back and you take these courses and you get into uh, uh, more detail. And then the other piece of that is you don't want not having a degree to be a barrier to opportunity. Of course. Yeah. So, you know, both of those are are factors. Yeah. Cool. Great. And so uh, coming out of the MBA, did you go back to the same company or, or did you move on to, to greener pasture, so to speak? Yeah, I, I, really. While I was getting my MBA, I was working for uh, I was working for Christus Health. I was right. down in in um, uh, Northeast Texas. Yeah, loved loved yeah. Christus. Loved that job. It was really terrific. One of my mentors and really the, the whole team that I worked with down there. We were all C suite people. It was just such a such a remarkable and wonderful group. We all yeah. um, had terrific energy and, and worked together. But there were some family things going on in my life. My mom and my stepdad were uh, were back in Kentucky. My stepfather um, had just been diagnosed with uh, melanoma, mm. and and there was a there was a hospital that was uh, that needed a CEO, a small hospital. And, and so they reached out to me and, mm. and uh, offered me the position and I decided to accept it and yeah, left at that point. Yeah. And I think I, I think I actually got the degree conferred right after I left right and joined them. 
Yeah, awesome, cool. And and what was it like growing up in in kind of the C suite in healthcare at that time? Was it a pretty balanced gender um, management team at the time, or was it still pretty much a man's world? I know that that's transformed over time, but what was it like uh, during the period you were coming through? You know, there were not a lot of women in the yeah. C suite, and. Um, it's so funny because I was reflecting on this recently about how, how this uh, dynamic has shifted and changed. It's still right, not perfect, right. but it's, no. you know, the, <laughs> the glass ceilings are not in the same place that they That's used right. to be. Yeah. There, yeah. there are many women and, um, and not just women, but there are also people of color. And I think it's important that in yes. healthcare, we embrace that leaders don't uh, look uh, necessarily like this traditional sort of a uh, male in the three-piece suit that's white uh, yes. kind of way anymore. Right. And right. so it, as that has broadened, I think it's, I think it just adds a, a dimension, a very important dimension into, yeah. into uh, what we do in healthcare because, you know, healthcare is a service. This is, right. I'm in healthcare because of my need to uh, embrace mission in my own life. And, and I think, you know, the way that we reach out into our communities when we're leaders in the healthcare environment, and this includes our boards, right. it's so important that we represent every member of our community. So whether they're, whether they're uh, women, whether those community members are African-American, whether there uh, are other minorities that we represent in our communities, we should have boards and C-suites that look like they look represent yeah, and, absolutely. and, uh, uh, and we should have, you know, we should have employees in our organization that also right. look like that. So right. we've come a long way because I, I could, I, you know, I can tell you about some conversations that I had heard <laughs> and was a part of early on in my career that now, you know, I mean, there, there would be some guys that would There'd get be sexual harassment. Like <laughs> you, know, yeah. I can imagine. I mean, people, oh, yeah. you know, it's just, it's changed it's so much. It's really, you know, I laugh to myself because I'm yeah. like, wow, things have really, really changed. And back in the day, if you were a female and you were listening to these conversations, if you wanted to keep your job, you needed to remain silent. You kept your mouth shut. Yeah, yeah. You right. did. You kept your mouth shut. Right, right. Well, I'm glad those things have changed. And as you said, there still is a lot of change that needs to take place, but we are making progress. I'd like to talk a little bit about your leadership shifting and, you know, kind of how that maybe changed over the years as you grew and, you know, obviously wisdom as well as experience and, and you yeah. know, spending as many, you know, years as you've had in the healthcare system. What, what would you say is kind of the some of the biggest shifts you went through from those early days, maybe pre-MBA, obviously, to, to now kind of have you run and, and, and work with folks in your organization? Um, so there's really a couple of things I think that really come to mind. I mean, for, one of the main things that comes to mind is, it, and even in an MBA program, there is a, a real emphasis on being competent in your role. Mm -hmm. right. um, without necessarily the same amount of emphasis on um, relationships. Mm. So if you are going to be successful across time in your career, you do need to be competent, but you must be able to build affirming, trusting um, relationships as you right. go. Right. And, and, you know, I think the thing that I, one of the biggest lessons that I've learned along this journey is that you have to have balance with that. Mm. 
And, you know, the number one foundational element of anything that we do in leadership is about people. It's about forming trusting relationships with groups of people that we call teams and making sure those teams have the tools and the equipment that they need. And that includes education. That includes, uh, again, hiring the right people. You know, I mean, uh, getting them on the right seats of the bus, as as Jim Collins said many years ago. Give them them the right support. Give them the right support that they need. Um, You know, don't micromanage them too much. If you micromanage them, you're going to deprive people of the opportunity and thus the value of making their own mistakes and learning from them. Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, learning how to do that and uh, maintaining relationships and having some boundaries in those relationships. Because yeah. I think as a young leader, it's very hard to know where those boundaries are supposed That's to right. be. That's right. Um, so, so, you know, learning, learning all of that and having, having that in place and then, um, and then, uh, you know, and then having, having high expectations of people, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, there's nothing wrong with being the high expectation, um, CEO. In fact, right. you should be, you because should you're be. not yeah. going to be able, you're not going to be able to get your organization to the next level if you don't have high expectations of people. Yeah. But, but again, you got to have people in the right place. People need to trust you. Uh, you need to be able to communicate mission and passion. You know, we can't be passionless about our job, you know, and again, if you just take a straight up MBA, there's nothing in an MBA that says you have to go out there with emotion and passion, but people do need to see you that way as a leader. That's right. You know, if it's not important to you as a leader, it's not going to be important to anybody else. That's right. So, um, you know, finding that balance and, and being able to grow into that and really, really valuing people and, and having a sense of humility, you know, I mean, yeah. If there's anything that's ever been achieved for any leader along the way, it's not about them. It's about yeah. their ability to inspire an entire network of individuals. Right. Uh, and, and in the healthcare setting, that includes physicians because they're so critical to every part of what sure. we do. And their personalities you know, how, don't how do you aren't do necessarily, that? you know, they're, they're they're not trained in the same kind of business management either, right? No, I, no, they're right. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. So, so, try, so you know, I think I evolved. I evolved from a from a person who thought, well, yeah, if you just perform, if you have out, you know, if the outcomes are there, then everything's good. To right. understanding. You know, no, you you have to be able to um, have these connections with people. And and again, inspirate. It's not about managing people and it's not about motivating people. It's about people becoming inspired inside themselves to want to do something. And and, uh, it takes it takes a a bit of time to kind of learn how to do that. And and um, and then, you know, again, being a leader who's willing to say you're sorry. You know, I think mm. that's important. Oh, we, we mess yeah. up. We're just yeah. humans. Yeah. Um, that's you know, reco- right? Yeah. Re- recognizing that that uh, none of us accomplishes anything uh, without somebody helping us along the way, yeah. and yeah. recognizing, acknowledging those people, helping them in their careers. 
you know, I, I mean, you know, so all those are really, really important things. Yeah. We spoke a few weeks ago and you, and you talked about the importance of faith and you, you briefly mentioned that a little earlier today. Right. When have you come, tell, tell us about a time when you've come to really had to go to your faith and help you through a really difficult business situation. Can you remember one or two of those? Oh, I do. I mean, probably the, the toughest, um, there have been several tough challenges because, you know, somehow along the way, um, you know, I sort of got uh, sort of pointed in the direction of working with distressed hospitals. So when you're when you're a person that goes in and and uh, you're you're in a place where that really does need to be turned around, yeah. you're usually dealing with cultural issues and, right. you know, a lot of other things that have have contributed to that organization's either struggling or failing. And sometimes when you go in as the agent of change, you know, the situation can become rather volatile because, you know, you just can't know what's really happening there until you go in and you begin to talk to people and you begin to do some hard analysis on, you know, kind of what's happening and so forth. And, and I had a situation that I had, had just gotten to a place, um, the hospital was actually doing okay financially, but what happened when I got there is uh, was brought to my attention by the by the nursing staff and by the director of quality in the hospital that there were some very very serious um, uh, issues with some members of the medical staff, um, mm. some safety issues and wow. and so forth, and uh, you know you know, from a risk management viewpoint, viewpoint, those, those things had to be investigated. So, um, you know, this was, this was, um, uh, it it really kind of launched me down, um, uh, you know, uh, a rabbit hole that I didn't really want to go down after only having (laughs) been in a place a couple of months because I didn't have strong enough relationships there to, you know, to be embedded in the culture yet. So, so that became uh, a very, very challenging situation. And, and I was uh, really committed to, to staying the course, identifying what was going on uh, with these medical staff issues, working with the board and with, and with members of the medical staff who uh, also wanted to get to the truth. There were other members of the medical staff who just wanted to circle the wagons. And, and they, <laughs> right. became, they became very, very volatile and they got, you know, and they brought community members in and it, it really, uh, it got pretty challenging. But was so, what was so interesting about that from a standpoint of faith is, uh, you know, when you're, when you're um, you know, hearing people openly you know, defame you in public meetings mm-hmm. and do all of this stuff. Wow. You know, the tendency I think that all people have is to take a defensive posture. Of course. Sure. And, and, you know, even though that was very, very hard, I was so at peace with the work. And yeah. I was at peace yeah. with the work because I knew that God would not have put me in that situation mm-hmm. uh, if he wasn't going to get me through it. And and uh, and that's what happened. Well, approaching the situation because there was something you had to learn through it, right? Yeah, there was there, there <laughs> were things to learn. There were also yeah. things that needed to be exposed. And right. um, you, you know, I I think the faith that I have is the thing that that reminds me over and over that you know we have an assignment when we get to this life, yeah. Yeah. and and whatever that assignment is, 
if if you um, do everything you're supposed to do and rely on God for the rest, you will have everything that you need right. given to you at exactly the right time Amen. so that you will be able to fulfill that assignment and and make the world better because of your presence here. Yeah. And that is um, so that is something that I believe every single day. Yeah. It takes a while to learn that. It took me a while to learn that, but you're absolutely it does. right. It's because when you're getting when you're getting beat up, you think, well, you know, God God can't love me if I'm you know, if these bad things are happening to me right, or whatever. Right. But but the reality is, you know, um, God never promises that we will not experience adversity That's right. and, and barriers and obstacles. What he says is if you will keep your focus on me yeah. and you will trust me. I will equip you with everything you need that's to get right. you through this. Yeah, and right. you will come out uh, of this bad experience having been transformed in ways that you would not have believed that you could be transformed. Yeah, amen. And, and, um, and, 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 and if you haven't become transformed, that things keep, keep coming back again and again until you get it right. They do. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, so why, why repeat them? If, if, they're, if they're really uncomfortable, let's just do it once. Let's just do it once, God. We'll yeah, let's just that. do it once. Yeah. <laughs> let's talk a little bit about Deaconess Health. You've been there coming up on four years. And, you know, obviously, uh, as the president chief executive officer of the, 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 the systems that you're over, and then, of course, the, the bigger uh, Union C County Hospitals uh, relationship you have. But just, just give us a little bit of a footprint of your organization, how many people, how many hospitals, and tell us a little bit about your business. Um. The Deaconess Health System is just just really such a such a terrific regional health system. We're an independent regional health system. There aren't that many of those anymore yeah. in this era of consolidation. Right. Uh, based in Evansville, Indiana, uh, two tertiary hospitals up there, plus um, an ortho neuro hospital, uh, women's hospital. Uh, we have some joint ventures that we have with with other folks. We talked about Health South. His name is Encompass. You know, they, we're a partner with them and their hospital in in the marketplace. We also have a hospital over in um, Henderson, Kentucky. Um, mm -hmm. The hospital, the two hospitals that I take care of, which are critical access hospitals, uh, Deaconess has just really started moving into rural healthcare. But but it is a to give you a sense, it's a 4.5 billion dollar Wow. system it, yeah. um, uh, you know we've been very very successful and in that how, how many employees in, in how many locations uh, about 91 9100 employees wow. uh, total across the system yeah. and I probably take care of about you know 500 or so we've yeah. got directly and then indirectly through other things you know we have a lot of matrix relationships in this system yeah. and, and then you know I work with others and then um, we have, um, you know, uh, uh, quite a, a big physician um, enterprise as well, with roughly 700 providers. About half of those are doctors, the other yeah. half are APPs, and then a variety of other relationships, obviously, with independent groups and so on. And and so it's it's a, a strong, vibrant system. It's, yeah. it's really a, just such a terrific group of people, and I'm, um, you know, I'm honored and, and proud to work with them. 
these last two years has put our entire world and certainly our nation healthcare system um, to, through some really incredibly trying times. And I have so much empathy and, and humility when I think about <clears throat> getting choked up, you know, the frontline workers and, and how they've really just borne the brunt <clears throat> of so much of the uh, of the uh, you know the, the the issues around you know dealing with the sick and, and how wonderful you know those situations have been and I, I would just love to hear a little bit of a reflection from you and in, in looking at these past couple of years and you know what what are some of the key learnings that you'd like to share with some of us that aren't involved in the healthcare system and you know help us help you <laughs> in a way of how we should be thinking about this moving forward and you know who knows if this will ever happen again God forbid but you know, there's been a reason we've gone through it, but boy, you know, I'll tell you, I have, for one, have had such a, a greater appreciation for those that are in the service that you folks do and, and you know, help us understand um, both, I think, some of the impact that it's had and, and, and how can we as, as, as non-healthcare providers, right, but users of the system, be better in terms of helping, you know, this system do better in the future. I think probably the, the first thing that I would lead with is, is to say that most people who work inside of healthcare and, and have had this experience directly for the last two years, you're going to find that, that a lot of those people don't share a lot about it to those who are not in healthcare. And the reason why is because it would be impossible for a person who has not lived this inside of healthcare day in and day out to believe what really happened. It's like going um, through a war, isn't it? I mean, it's it, it, it is, the same, it is like very the much the same. The and that's just why those, yeah. those veterans from World War II yeah. never talked about the never war when they got it. back. Right. Because, the you know, there's, the there's yeah. yeah, and I mean, there's this, I think there is this tendency uh, for people to want to minimize what somebody's experience is because they just can't relate to it you, can't relate you know to it. Yeah. so so people people just don't talk about it so the the first takeaway is my my coworkers in healthcare the the nurses the respiratory therapists the direct uh, caregivers yeah. the physicians the nurse practitioners are so heroic that my mm. word there's not a single word that i can say yeah. uh, to talk about or that would even begin to touch my gratitude yeah. for these people. Yeah. The yeah. way they came in every day and so in the early courage. phases, it is courage. In the early yeah. phases of this pandemic, remember, we didn't know really how to treat yeah. it. We had oh, no. no treatment yeah. methods. We didn't right. know what it, was. what it was. We had yeah. our own staff catching this disease and dying and then taking it home to the, to their families and their family members dying. I mean, yeah. in my own emergency department, uh, here in in uh, in the hospital in Morganfield, Kentucky, we lost a member of our emergency department mm. and her husband within a week of one another. Oh my god! And um, and, so and now they did not get the vaccine. I will say that you know sometimes in rural America, people are a little suspicious of, mm. of things that the government uh, suggests we need. But and it's very unfortunate how politicized the whole vaccine yeah. issue became because I think people lost their lives that. Yeah. that didn't have to but but still these 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 people came in every day not knowing what the outcome would be for them and and that is that is fundamentally a level yeah. of mission and service yeah. that is 
is really hard for other people to be able to relate to. But so, so my respect for these people and my love for them is something that, that uh, I could never be able to adequately communicate. So, so that's first. The next thing that I would say is it's really important. I think that every single uh, person right now, whether you're in healthcare or not in healthcare, realize that folks that you're going to be interacting with as we try to come out of the worst of the pandemic is probably suffering in some way. So Mm. be kind, you know, be be a little bit more gentle with people because people are incredibly fragile right now. We've um, in, in a 24 hour period, just a couple of weeks ago, I lost two spouses of employees Mm. to suicide. And, you know, that was a shock to me, but it reinforced that there are people suffering uh, as a result of this in ways that that we we take for granted. We think they're not. It's trauma, Claudia. Absolutely. People are are tremendously traumatized. You know, I I think about again, they're, they're they're people who have lost, uh, you know, through death, they've lost people in COVID. But COVID also clarified a lot of other relationships. I mean, there are friendship right. between the political environment we're in right now and, and COVID and the fact that there was so much isolation going on. It really, it really teased out and clarified relationships. So people lost friendships because they couldn't right. interact in the normal way. Uh, there, there were a lot. There was a lot of loss during this time, and it is going to take a period of time, I think, for people to get through this. So, Full recovery, you know, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a really good time to just have empathy for other people. Have that empathy. people yeah. Let them have a bad day. You know, so many yeah, have right, a bad day, right. and they say something ugly to you. Just, just you know, it's okay. And be respectful the next time you go into a yes, healthcare situation, absolutely. whether that's your own doctor or a, a clinic, and you know, <laughs> bless and the people them. that are. Say, yeah, say thank them. you for your work. Right. You know, right. thank thank you for being here for us yeah. during this yeah. time. You know, I mean, yeah. I I thank my coworkers in healthcare all the time because what yeah. they did, you know, I mean, it, it, it was truly heroic. It was truly courageous. Well, and and uh, thank nobody you got into leadership. healthcare thinking. No, nobody else. <laughs> nobody got into happen. healthcare thinking. Oh, please don't don't thank me. This, this yeah. it's not a. It is absolutely not about me. It's about those people that stood there at the bedside because they wow. were the people standing in the gap. Yeah, you well, know, your leadership and, of them um, counts too, Claudia, and that's you know incredibly important. And well, what um, what counts is how much I care about them. Right. You know, right, and and absolutely. if I'm able. If I'm able to communicate that to them and that is what they see in me, then I feel like that's the job yeah. that, that I want to do. Well, thank you for sharing that with our listeners. I know that'll mean a lot to the folks that listen to this. And we're getting close to running out of time, but we'll just have a couple of last questions we ask. And, and kind of related to this, you know, what, what do you look for when you're making bets on the people you, you invest in and hire into your organization? You know, I mean, there, what I want to know is I, I'm most interested in fit. You know, yeah, if somebody actually right. gets to me for an interview, they're probably competent. I, I don't have yeah. to try to figure <laughs> out been some not, they know the fundamentals right. of their job. You know, that, that's <laughs> not it. What I'm interested in is fit. So, yeah. uh, you know, and, and that's all about values. So right. 
do the values of that individual align with the values that we are trying to create in our organization and that we we honor in our organization right. because culture right. and values drives really drives everything else and that's what keeps your mission on track is right. hiring people that have that level of belief and and that's where inspiration comes from it, it comes from that inner belief but you can't take people who don't match your values and try to mesh them in your organization just because they're competent right. so right. you know what i'm always trying to get a sense of is hey what what's most important to you as a candidate yeah. and i ask that yeah. you know i mean the two questions that that i always try to ask are one if you join the organization tell me a little bit about what your uh, you know, first 90 to 120 days looks like. Right. And I just leave it very open-ended because you can tell whether or not people value people because they'll talk about getting to know people or they right. won't, or you they know, won't. You, yeah. so yeah. you'll hear about that. And, and then the other thing that's always a very telling question is, and I ask this, I say, so I want you to project forwardly in your career. And at the time mm -hmm. that you are about to retire, well, look across your career and tell me, what is the most important accomplishment from your work, from it, from your entire yeah. body of work? What do you, what yeah. does that look like to you? Tell, give me a picture yeah. of that, wow. and and you will really really learn. That really quickly distills out what what some yeah. of these values are. Yeah, awesome, great. Last question we ask this of all our guests is, you know, what kind of career and life advice would you give someone that maybe has their eye on the corner office or a senior level position, particularly in the healthcare industry? Well, what's important for them to think about today if they're mid-career? So I think that if you're in the healthcare industry and you're, you're trying to figure out how to get to that next level, uh, first of all, you know, do some reflection, you know, figure out how to be authentic. You know, every, and nobody likes a phony. People can see through that. And I think a lot of times people think they have to match what somebody else is. But you're never going to be good at being somebody else. You need to That's take right. the, the things that you have as a leader that are your gifts because everybody has their own gifts. Yep. And you need to figure out how to be authentically you and optimize those gifts. At the same time, have an awareness of the, of the things that you're not as good at and figure right. out how you can improve in those areas. And also surround yourself with people who maybe have strengths that you don't have. Yeah. And, and, and think about building a team uh, around uh, a host of, of different diverse skill sets and gifts because that's how you, that's how you get that. And the other, the other thing that I would say is, um, there's two other things. First of all, cultivate curiosity. Mm. Uh, be, be a reader. Ask a lot of questions. Right. Right. You know, don't don't sit back just because you're out of school doesn't mean your brain should get turned <laughs> you off. Stop learning. Yeah. You know, right. yeah. I mean, really curiosity is such an important attribute yeah. of, of good leaders. And and so cultivate at any point it. in your career. Ask yourself. Right? Yeah, at any yeah. point in your yeah. career, cultivate right. it. Uh, right. You're always going to be learning, and and so read a lot of books and and diverse yeah. books and diverse views, views that sometimes conflict with you. Um, right. uh, learn learn that humility and caring for others, including forgiveness. You know, you, mm. if you're if you're a, a person and you're in midway in your career and you've messed up somewhere, uh, learn from that experience, but forgive yourself for it. Make it right. And, and then move on, learn and move on. Don't get stuck on a page, you know, don't get stuck in that moment and, and think that, 
you, you know, this is the worst thing that ever happened because it's probably not. And the same thing <laughs> is true of people that you lead. Right. Let them make their mistakes. Yeah, and, and right. uh, you know, that's how we learn. And, <laughs> and then help them then help them get through it. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's these are these are important things in leadership. But but when you begin to practice these things, and I use the word practice because it's not a one-time thing. You have to practice authenticity. You have right. to practice curiosity. You have to practice humility. Uh, you have to practice doing good every day, being a generous person with your time and and right. uh, and and the words you say, etc. Do that. Do that every day. And, right. and make a practice out of that. And, and you know what? People are going to see that. And then you're going right. to have these opportunities open for you um, because the universe just plain works that way. That's right. That's right. So, so wise. Claudia Eisman, President and Chief Executive Officer in the Deaconess Health System. Thank you so very much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thanks so much for having me. I've really enjoyed our time today. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.